Hey, well, if you got your Bibles with you, let's look at, um, turn over to the book of James, James chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start there. We're excited about what we're going to preach about today. Now, we've been talking about words on Sunday morning, and we're going to kind of go a little bit different direction today, but still convicting nonetheless. <laughs> um, I was like... Uh, God, what are you trying to do to me here these days? I mean, you're, you're having me preach about words, and then I just feel like very convicted all the time, and i got to repent, and I can't say what I want to say the past month. I was like, I was talking pretty freely before then. And then uh, today's message is about mercy. Yeah. Well, you got to get something, because I'm going to get something. Um, but I just preached to you what God's preaching to me about, so I guess God's saying I need to get right with my words and mercy, so... James 2 and verse 13. No comments on the front row, please. James 2, 13. It says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's read that as again. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's read it in the New Living if we have that. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. I'm excited about this today because God's been speaking to me about mercy. And I think this is a timely word for not just this church, but just the, the culture we live in today. We need this now more than ever, uh, some messages about mercy. So, so I've been studying about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been meditating about it. And I want to share with you some things that I feel like God's teaching me about it. And I think we all need a refreshing, a refresher course on, on the subject of mercy. Oh, we, we sing songs about it, and we believe that. If somebody said, you know, God is merciful. But I don't think a lot of us know much about it. Or we don't meditate much about it, but it's one of the, the main Ways that God describes himself in the Bible. But first of all, I want to say this, that here's some definitions of the word mercy. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone you have the power to punish. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone you have the power or right to punish. One definition of mercy is this, and this is really a, a simple definition, is mercy is not getting what you deserve. Now, grace is getting what you don't deserve from God. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it, but God gives you, gives you that. Mercy is, I deserve this. But God is going to overlook that and show compassion on me and forgiveness on me. And I'm not going to get what I deserve or what I have coming to me. Now, now we know this. Dad said this as long as this church has been around, that you don't want what you deserve. (laughs) Because what we deserve in here, all of us, is judgment. But God shows us mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Deserve or what we have coming to us. We want what's being offered, which that is the grace and mercy of God. 
So mercy, once again, is compassion or forgiveness shown to someone you have the power to punish or harm. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And so I need to tell you a few things about what God is like this morning and who God is. Now you see in your Bible, a lot of people have opinions on who God is and what He's like, but there's only one place you can go to find that out, and that is the Word of God. You don't need to let people tell you their opinions on who they think God is and what He's like. No, the Bible tells you who God is and what He is like. And so we got to see in the Bible that God reveals Himself in many ways in the attributes of God. We know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. God is omnipowerful. He is all-powerful. He is, he is omniscient, means He's all-knowing. But God is also holy, and He is righteous. But one of the main things that God is revealed in in the Bible is God is all-merciful. He is a God of mercy. Now you're saying, well, well, I know God is mercy, but God is a judge. Yes, He is. He is a judge as well. And really, we all want justice, and we all want judgment. We just don't want it towards us. He was like, well, I don't like that God's a judge. No, you don't like when God judges you. You just want him to get everybody else but you. Can, can we talk here? <laughs> we want consequences for everybody else. We just don't want it for ourselves. Yes, God is a judge. Yes, he is because he's righteous and he's holy. And we should all appreciate that God is a righteous, holy, honorable judge. Because that means that he's going to set everything right in this world, in the world to come. And it's, and it's good. He is a judge. But he doesn't delight in having to judge people. He's offering mercy. But more than a judge, he is a merciful God giving people chance after chance. Time to repent, the Bible says, and to change. And he is a God of mercy. And so he's revealed in the word as a God of mercy. So let's read some verses about this. Psalm 145 and verse 9. In the New King James, it says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Notice, He's good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Now, let's read in 2 Chronicles 5, and verse 11, and I love this passage. Now, to set this up in 2 Chronicles 5, 11, this is a worship service. That God's people are having. And you're going to see the significance of this in a moment. But listen to what it says. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. So that's the pastors. For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. Verse 12. And the Levites who were singers and all those of Asaph and Heman and Judathon. Great kids' names, if you guys are looking for them, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals and stringed instruments and harps, and with 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Verse 13. 
And indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard and praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the bass guitar, come on now, and the keyboard player and the instruments of music and praise the Lord. Notice what they said. Saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud. Next part, so that the priest could not continue to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. But let's look back at verse 13. Second part of that. Saying, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Let's leave this here. Now, now, why am I reading this again? Because we're talking about God revealing himself as a merciful God. He is a God of mercy. And we saw in the Psalms, it talks about that God is a God of mercy. He's, he's merciful to all. He's good to all. His mercy endures forever. But this passage right here, and, and this statement right here, is one of the most repeated statements all throughout the Old Testament. On the way... They describe God. And notice what they would sing when they would come to a worship service like this. They didn't have Hillsong. They didn't have Elevation Worship. They didn't have Bethel. They didn't even have a hymn book. They just had some songs that some priests and some Levites, the, the leaders of that day, wrote. They had some psalms that David wrote. But the most common one was very simple. And it revealed who God is. And it says, for he is good. And his mercy endureth forever. <laughs> if that's all you knew in your theology about God, you would be in a good place this morning. Because this passage is repeated all over the Old Testament, all over the Psalms. This is the most common thing that they would sing at worship services. They would say, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Based off church people in the world, you would think God is bad and his judgment endures forever. But that's not who God is. Who God is is for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Now here's the significance of this. When you sing about who God really is, And not just your opinion and your feelings. When you sing right theology about who God really is, that he is good and his mercy endureth forever, then the presence of God shows up in that place. You know, there's a lot of churches this morning singing songs to God, but they're not singing the goodness and the mercy of God. So God's presence isn't there. Because they're thinking, they're, they're singing their religion, they're singing their tradition, they're singing their own thoughts and feelings about God, but they're not singing who God really is. And God reveals himself, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Come on, I'm going to need you to help me preach a little bit more today. I know it's rainy and cold, but it's hot in the Holy Ghost in here. For he is good and his mercy endureth forever. I, I encourage you, look up th this, this in your Bible, all throughout the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. Many, many worship services, they would get up, and they all knew this song, For the Lord is good, 
and his mercy endureth forever. Sometimes they would just say it as a group of people, and sometimes there would be hundreds of thousands and millions of God's people together, and they say, for the Lord is good, and his mercy endureth forever. For the Lord is good. Now, you got to remind yourself about that some days. No, God is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Yeah, he is righteous, he is holy, and he is a righteous judge. And one day he will judge everyone. But he's mercy before he's a judge. And no, for us who have received his mercy, we're not getting judgment in the future. You know why? Because Jesus got our judgment. But when we sing about who God really is and who is God really. No, he didn't show up when he said, God, you are the judge of all. You are hard hearted towards us, God. You are angry with us. And yeah, God was sometimes in the Old Testament. But notice, that's not who he really is. Who he really is. He is good and his mercy endureth forever. Come on, are you getting something this morning? We're talking about the mercy of God. Who is God and what is he like? Well, he's a merciful father. James 3 not James 3, sorry, Lamentations 3, verse 22 in the New King James. I love this. Many of you know this verse. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Can anybody say amen today? <laughs> Can anybody say that's the only reason you're still here? <laughs> the only reason you're still breathing. The only reason you got over that sickness and disease, the only reason you didn't die in the car wreck, the only reason you're still on this planet and you didn't deserve it and you deserved the opposite of mercy or you did something dumb or you sinned and you're messed up and God still forgave you and you didn't get the consequences. Why? Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. Sometimes people's aren't, <laughs> but God's are. That means you could have completely blown it the day before, but when you wake up, there's new mercy, there's new forgiveness. There's new grace. He's not holding your past against you. There is new mercies every morning. Every time we reach out to God, every time we, we, we cry out to God, there is new mercies. And through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. We are not destroyed. We are not judged. Through His mercies, we are not consumed. Because His compassion fails not. His mercies are new every morning. And that's who God is. God is a God of mercy, and mercy is what he does. Come on, you want another verse? I know you do. Ephesians 2 and verse 4. Ephesians 2 and verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Next verse. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. If we have that. Ephesians 2 and 7. We'll get it. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. But notice what it says. God, who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Now you're thinking, well, God is rich in finances and prosperity. He's rich in mercy. Now God doesn't relate to money like we do. Do you realize that? Like, he doesn't live in the earth with like credit cards and debit cards and and coins and dollars like money's not a thing to him that's why his streets are made of gold he doesn't care Uh, he owns everything so he's ultimately rich in all ways but it says what he's rich in is mercy God who is rich in mercy So I think you're starting to see today that God is mercy, and He is mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Now we got to talk about God first before I talk about you guys and me. (laughs) Revealing who God really is. So we see that God is a God of mercy. We see that the Lord is good, and His mercy endureth forever. We are not consumed because of His mercies. His mercies are new every morning. But God, who is rich in mercy saved us, raised us up together to sit with Christ in heavenly places that he could show us his kindness. The Bible in the Old Testament says that God delights in mercy, not in judgment. Yes, judgment has to come on certain people that do not repent, but he doesn't delight in that. He delights in mercy. In the same way, when you have to discipline your kid, you don't delight in that unless you messed up. But you have to do it. If you're a good parent, the same way with God, God doesn't delight in having to bring justice and judgment, but he delights in mercy. Not in judgment. So let's read James 2 and verse 13, and we're going to get into the the meat and taters of this message. James 2 and verse 13. It says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we know that's who God is, but let me bring it a little bit closer to home because I want to deal with something today that, is, that happens in the church world, but that happens in the world around us, and we've seen this more than ever the past few years. And it's something that is, that is not in the ways of God. It is not aligned with God's character and God's mercy or us as followers of Christ And it's this term called cancel culture. Now, cancel culture is this. If we don't like you, if we don't agree with you, if we don't like what you did or you you said, we have the right to cancel you. Come on. And we've seen this in the world all around us by people getting fired, by people getting their life destroyed on social media, by their people getting their family attacked. They've tried to attack people and businesses and companies. 
if we don't like you or agree with you, we feel like that it's our right to bring judgment. And so we will cancel you. So we're going to get this person canceled and we're not going to listen to your CDs anymore. We're not going to, we're not going to go to your movies anymore. We're not going to buy your products anymore. We're not going to do this and we're not going to do that. Because we have set ourselves up as God and we can judge people. Now, that is the ultimate pride in all of us that we think that we are God and we are qualified to judge people. Now, here's something else, because if someone was trying to cancel us, we wouldn't feel the same way about it. And here's a term that I've heard a lot of people say, which I think is hilarious. Oh, we just got to keep people accountable. Who, who told you that you were the person to keep everyone accountable? Like, we're talking the planet? Like... Like, you could keep you accountable and your family accountable and friends that you have a relationship with, but there's no place that God or anyone else said, it's our job to keep you accountable. Come on now, somebody. Because you are not qualified to be in that position, only God is. But we all do it. I mean, worldly people do it. The church world does it. We got to keep people accountable. Well, who are you? God said, you're accountable for all 7 to 8 billion people on the planet that you need to judge them and make sure they get the consequences because you're accountable for that. We see everybody. That's why people attack people on social media when they disagree with them or they don't do something they like because we just got to keep them accountable. Who said I must be stepping on some toes because no one's saying anything. So we're gonna we gotta keep our government accountable. We gotta keep our, our church leaders accountable. We gotta keep our friends accountable and our neighbors accountable and this organization, this business. Whoa, whoa, chill. God didn't give you that responsibility. God didn't give you that weight. That's a lot of weight to carry if you have to police the whole world. If you have to judge the whole world. If you have to make sure that everyone gets the right consequences and the right judgment. and That's your responsibility. It's not. We're going to go a step further. I'm just getting going in here. So, so we, we want to cancel people if we don't like them, agree with them. So, so we see this happen in politics. You've seen this. If you're Democratic or Republican, which, whichever side you're on, you cancel the other side. If you voted for Trump or you voted for Biden, you cancel the other side. No one, no one called you to, to judge other people and keep them accountable. And, and so we take it to the extremes. Some of you in here voted for Biden. And there's other people in here who say, okay, well, they're just a liberal and they don't like God and they, they're a Marxist and they're, whoa, 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 whoa. 
You can disagree with somebody, but when you start, you got to bring judgment and consequences. Or, or some of us in here voted for Trump, and, and people that didn't vote for Trump, oh, well, they're a racist, and they don't like. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who made you the judge? Now, you can disagree with people, and you can have healthy conversations, but no one called you to cancel people. And judge people just because you disagree with them. Because you are not God. And you're not qualified to judge people. So we cancel people in politics. You see that not just in the church world, but in the world. This has been the most divided season of politics ever. Our country is literally split right down the middle. There's more people that voted this year than have ever voted before. And yet... They're on both different sides, and the other side is the enemy, and the other side feels like they deserve judgment. It's wrong. It's not God. It's not Christ-like. Cancel culture, hear me, is not Christ culture. Cancel culture is not kingdom culture. Here's something in different religious views. Just because you disagree with someone does not mean they deserve to be canceled. You could disagree. Or, or, or race. Different races. There's all sorts of uh, different reasons. You know, I was thinking about this. Here's an example. Are you, are you still following me today? Here's, the, here's an example of something we know. Like Chick-fil-A. Anybody like Chick-fil-A around here? What God has blessed, let no man curse. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. Probably the most prosperous fast food chain because they just write. Tithe, give offerings, they just write. So Chick-fil-A, a few years back, there's people that came out against Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A stands for Christian values. They stand for what the Bible says. <laughs> biblical marriage. Biblical views on gender. Biblical views on sexuality. Just because the people that run that company believe the Bible, never said it publicly, a big group of people said, let's cancel Chick-fil-A because we want to bring them down because we don't agree with them. So they deserve the wrath of not God, the wrath of us, because we think we are God. And they deserve our judgment, and they need to get consequences, and we need to get revenge because I don't agree with them. Are you hearing me today? Of course, Chick-fil-A survived because you can't curse what God has blessed. And you think you got self-control until you're really craving some chicken sandwiches and waffle fries. Your views about that go out the window. Okay, you know, I, give, I give it up. Chick-fil-A, we'll go back. But that happened a few years ago. There was a big push from a lot of organizations just because Chick-fil-A believes the Bible, the people that own it. It's not right. Recently I heard about this. There's, there's an organization, Christian organization, that does helps people that are sex, uh, sex trafficking and they, they help get people out of sex slavery. And there was a, there was a big Hollywood uh, group that was funding all these charities. And it happened to be one of them. 
But people on social media started going after this organization that all they do is help people get out of sex trafficking. But just because the people that owned it believed the Bible, they got those people removed from the list. Because we got to hold them accountable. Because they believe the Bible. And we don't agree with them, so let's ruin their company and organization. And I even heard a Hollywood celebrity get on the news and say, thank you for holding us accountable. Thank you for speaking out because our views and our values don't align with this organization because they believe the Bible. Cancel culture. It's not right that way, but it's not right the opposite way either. As followers of Jesus, people that we don't agree with, we don't deserve to cancel them either if they don't believe the way that we believe. You know what they deserve? Mercy. Not judgment. Not judgment. Mercy. Now, we're going somewhere. Stay with me today. When we think that we need to hold everyone accountable. We set ourselves up as the judge and as God, and we are not. God tells us to show mercy, and he will take care of the judgment if necessary. The only person, you're going to love this, that the Bible tells you to judge is yourself. It's in bold print. Judge yourself. The Bible doesn't say judge your neighbor. He doesn't say judge your friends. He doesn't say judge your coworkers. He didn't say judge the opposite race or the opposite religion or the opposite gender or the opposite views of you. He says judge yourself and show others mercy. It's uncomfortable in this Methodist church today. Now, that's what your Bible says. He says to judge yourself, not other people. So if you're looking for somebody to judge, you got the rest of your life to look at yourself. If we would keep our own backyard clean, we wouldn't have time to look at anyone else's. I love this. Uh, Pastor Jordan Smucker, some of you know, he actually wrote something about this recently that I read. He, he wrote about cancel culture. He says, cancel culture robs people of forgiveness. It negates the opportunity for one to change. It strips grace from the relationship and assumes that their past will be their future. It is anti-Christ. And it is. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-kingdom. It's anti-the mercy of God. And we as believers should not be canceling anyone. God didn't cancel us So we don't have the right to cancel anyone else. The only thing that God canceled for you was your sins. So our job is not to judge. It's to show mercy and let God handle the results. You guys still here today? It's amazing we cancel people not because they're different than us, only because they sin differently than us. That's really the only difference. I don't like the way that you sin. It offends me. But I have my own sin in my life that offends you. Here's another quote pertaining to cancel culture. 
And I think we need to take this to heart. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if uh, you disagree with someone, you must hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. Now, what's compassion? Mercy. And you know what? As your pastor today, this is the time and day to have strong convictions. Actually, I say now more than ever, we need to be solid in what we believe and why we believe it. And we should live, especially right now, with no compromise in our lifestyle. No compromise in our stand on the word. No compromise on what we believe. I'm 100% for that. But notice what it says. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. You can still 100% not compromise and stand up for what you believe and what you know is right and your convictions on the inside that God has given you. Stand up for the convictions of the word. You can do that with all your strength and still be merciful and compassionate to other people who don't agree with you or don't believe like you or are different than you. You know why? Because your mercy and compassion will leave the door open for when they need help. And they need answers. They know who to go to because the person who stood in their convictions and didn't compromise was also merciful towards them. So when they need answers, they're going to come to you. Because they know you stand for something, but you don't stand for something to stand against them. So kingdom culture and Christ culture is not cancel culture. Now, it's one thing for the world to act like that, which they are, but they're just acting like the world. They don't know any better. But for the church, it should not be like that amongst us. That should not be the way that we live. And really, the church world has done this before the world even did it. We're notorious for being the big judge. We're notorious for throwing people away when they make a mistake. We're notorious for when someone sins and messes up that's different than us to cutting them off, not giving them any chance of redemption or forgiveness or restoration. That's not Christ-like. Our life would be much more peaceful and joyful if we didn't choose to judge everyone else. Can I go a step further today? We want consequences for others, don't we? Well, it's just right, Pastor Jordan. We want revenge. We want vengeance. It's human nature to feel that way. Now, why do we feel that way? When we feel pain, we want other people to feel pain too. Come on now, somebody. That's a human feeling. When we get hurt, we want other people to hurt. That's where it comes from. That's a human feeling. But notice that feeling and those emotions need to go to Christ. 
not your flesh, not the enemy, because you will respond the wrong way. But when we're in pain, we want to make other people hurt. That's why we want them to get consequences. When we're hurting, we want other people to get the vengeance or the revenge that we know that can come to them. But notice that is not the way of Jesus. But we all feel that way. You know your pastor today? There are some people that I would like to get back. You want names? Got names. Some of you are sitting here. No, I'm joking. You know why? I love God. Absolutely. I love the church. But if you think about it long enough, there's all, everyone in here could think of a few people that hurt them or there's pain in your life. And if you're not careful, you could go down that trail and think, I want to pay them back. I would like them to get consequences. Even if I don't directly deliver it to them, somebody needs to get them back. Somebody needs to give them consequences. I need to get revenge. We all feel that way. Your pastor does. Because I'm a human being. And once again, when you hurt, you want other people to hurt. When you're in pain, you want somebody else to be in pain. But that's not the way of Jesus. And it doesn't heal or help you, and it doesn't help and heal anyone else. It'll actually destroy your life. Being in unforgiveness and bitterness and trying to be the judge of everyone else. We need to show mercy. Now we show mercy because we need mercy. And if you remind yourself, and we're going to go there a little bit further in a second. If you remind yourself all the time the amount of mercy that you need from God, it'll be a lot easier to give mercy to other people that don't deserve it. So we can give mercy. Why? Because we need mercy. Every time I've ever went down that trail of my thinking, God said, well, you deserve some consequences too. And didn't get them. Good point. You deserve some people to pay you back too. But you didn't get it. You deserve the judgment of God, but you didn't get it. You've been showed mercy, so you can show mercy to somebody else. But I get it today, because I know some of you are pushing back on me. No, they deserve it, and they, yeah, we all feel that way. It's a human feeling. But we got to trust God that He will make things right. God is the judge, and we are not. Our job is to show mercy. Let me show you a verse here, Romans 12, verse 17 in the Passion. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Verse 18. Do your best to live as everyone's friend. Listen to this part. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but leave that to God's righteous justice, for the Scripture says, Vengeance is mine. And I will repay, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with your kindness. For your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience. And God will reward you with favor. 
Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. Come on, you guys receive those verses? And what's it saying there? You don't got to pay people back. You don't got to get revenge. That shows you don't trust God. Your job is to show mercy and kindness and compassion and love and forgiveness and leave the rest up to God. And it says in those verses, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If somebody needs to be repaid back, they will get it. But our job is to show mercy. It shows that we don't really believe in the cross if we don't believe that there's redemption for people that make mistakes. Forgiveness, restoration, hope. It's our job to show mercy. I know this is a sober message, but I need to say it today. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2 and verse 13 in the New Living. Let's read this again. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Now, as I close today, I want to end the rest of this message with focusing on what Jesus has done for us and the mercy he's shown for us. Why? Because if you think about that all the time, instead about how right you are, and that you've earned the right to be the judge of everyone else, it will be so much easier to show mercy to others. Because we need mercy. The truth is, only one person who ever lived deserved mercy. It's Jesus. But you know what? He got judgment. And all of us deserved judgment and got mercy. That's what, how we, as followers of Jesus, can show mercy to people that don't deserve it. We can show mercy to other people because we, all of us in here, no matter how good of lives we think we have lived, we don't deserve mercy at all. Only one person did. That's Jesus. And he got our judgment. And we deserve judgment and we got his mercy. So we can give that to other people and leave the consequences in the hands of God. Because we don't want the consequences that we have coming to us. We don't want the vengeance. We don't want the revenge. We can show mercy. So this cancel culture isn't Christ culture or kingdom culture. And it should be far from us as followers of Jesus. Hebrews 12 and 24 in the Amplified. Listen to what this says in Amplified. Hebrews 12, 24. And to Jesus, the mediator, our go-between agent of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of mercy, a better and nobler and more gracious message than the blood of Abel, which cried out for vengeance. So he's comparing and contrasting the old versus the new way. The old way, Abel, means when I'm done wrong, I need to take vengeance. I need you to get consequences. 
But notice the new way as followers of Jesus is the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ speaks of mercy. When you're done wrong, it speaks of forgiveness. When you're done wrong, it speaks of restoration and redemption. There's two ways. There's the old way and the new way. But the old way is how we all want to live. That's human nature. When something's wrong, the blood cries out for vengeance. But the new way is the way of Jesus. When Jesus' blood was spilt for us, it cried out for mercy. It's interesting that in your Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it talks about the mercy seat. The mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant. Between the two cherubims, there was the place on that Ark where they put the blood. Come on to somebody. And in the Old Testament, the priest would bring in the blood and he would put it on the mercy seat. It was not the judgment seat. The mercy seat. And God would give mercy to his people because of the payment. He would give forgiveness and redemption and restoration because of the blood on the mercy seat. And how many know the Old Testament is a type and shadow of the New Testament? And in the New Testament, Jesus is our mercy seat. Because of what Jesus did and because of Jesus' blood, we receive mercy instead of judgment. We receive mercy instead of consequences. We receive mercy instead of God's revenge or God's wrath because of Jesus. And because Jesus did that for us, we can do that for other people. Trust me, you'll have way more peace and way more joy in your life if you stay on the mercy side and not on the judgment side. I've just decided as a pastor, I don't care if people say stuff about me. Well, pastor, you know, what about you know, standards and judgment and this and that? Listen, if I'm going to err on any side, I'm going to err on the side of mercy. I'm not saying anything goes in a church and there's just going to be chaos, but if we're going to err on a side as followers of Jesus, let's not err on the side of consequences and judgment. Let's err on the side of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Why? Because we need it. Because we need it just as much as the person we're giving it to needs it. And we should be thankful that God has kept our closet clean and not let our dirty laundry go out in the community. Because all of us would be unqualified just to even sit in church. If we want to get high and mighty about ourselves, none of us are qualified to do jack squat for God. You know what we deserve? We all deserve to go to hell. You're not very Joel Osteen-like today, Pastor. I do too. We all deserve consequences. Why? Because apart from God, we are stubborn and rebellious and evil and stiff-necked and disobedient and completely wrong. (laughs) All of us. But God has shown us mercy. (laughs) Are you guys getting anything today? 
I know this is a completely different message than normal, but, but it's on my heart. Why? Because we are living in such, the, the, the culture has even called it the age of rage. Got the church raging. We got the world raging. Everyone's trying to destroy everyone with judgment. You know, I was thinking about this. Dr. Dufresne said this before he passed away, that this last revival that God was going to send on the earth He said that God told him, it's going to be a revival of mercy. And he said that God's going to heal people that you wouldn't heal. (laughs) He's going to deliver people that you wouldn't deliver. He's going to save people that you wrote off years ago. He's going to love people that you stopped loving. He's going to show mercy on people that you've been trying to get back for years. Because God is a God of mercy. And he said this end time revival will be known for mercy. And that is the day and age we're living in. I think it's way more significant because mercy is the complete opposite of everything in our culture. So the church is going to be the most attractive place to be. (laughs) How refreshing. And the last day revival will be revival of mercy because that's who God is. Can I read you a few more verses? Romans 3.24. Talking about Jesus, our mercy seat and the passion. She says, yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal. Come on, that's a law term. God freely Gives away his righteousness, his gift of love and favor, now cascades over us. All because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt and the punishment and the power of sin. Verse 25, notice this. Jesus' God-given destiny was to be a sacrifice to take away sins, and now he is our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. We come to him for mercy, for God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. Come on, that's what God has done for us. That's what he's done for us. And we have to church receive his mercy before we can give his mercy to anybody else. Once again, I I get it. The first part of the message, we talked about how God is mercy, and that's who he is, and that's what he does. But that second half, that's when it got a little uncomfortable in here because we were talking about things we all feel, about canceling other people, about other people getting consequences. And I know you, in and of yourself, Want to be that way? You're saying, Pastor, I don't even know how to forgive people or not feel like I want to judge people. Right here. You got to receive his mercy and know his mercy and be reminded of his mercy if you're going to give mercy to other people. And the more you think about it, the easier it will be to show mercy to other people and leave the judgment up to him. Because your Bible says that God will be merciful to us because we have shown mercy to other people. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Your Bible says that because of the blood of Jesus, his blood cries out for mercy and not vengeance for us. Because of the blood of Jesus, it has been put on the mercy seat for us, which says that we are forgiven. Come on now. We are set free, that we don't have consequences coming to us, that the vengeance and wrath of God is not against us, that we are not guilty anymore. We are forgiven. We are set free. And we can have a new life without judgment because of His mercy and grace by the blood of Jesus. And because Jesus has done that for us, we can do that for other people. And leave the results up to God. That's what it says in Romans. You be kind to people. You walk in love to people. You show mercy to people. And let me take care of them. Some of you guys remember the story about dad. He said this one time on a Sunday, a couple times, about that there was uh, someone at church who, you know, split our church, and there's about 50 or 60 people that left with them. And dad was saying he was looking up verses in the New Testament where, like, good verses, like, get you back verses. Revenge verses. And there's a couple of those that Paul said in the Bible. And he was driving home and he felt like he really wanted to pray it. Now why? Because when you hurt, you want to hurt somebody else. Don't act all so spiritual. I'm like, no, I don't feel that way. Yes, you do. Not even physically. Physically is the extreme of it. You just verbally want to get them back. Or prank their house or something. I don't know what you want to do. But you know what he said? You guys still here? We're closing. He said he was driving home, and he already had those few verses in the Bible that he thought could work on that guy and those people. Because when you're hurt, you want to hurt other people. When you're in pain, you want to make other people feel pain. And you know what God said? Michael, you're better than that. Come on now, why do we got to be merciful, God? <laughs> and you know what dad said? Okay, I let it go. Why? Because it's in God's hands now. I'm going to choose mercy. I'm going to choose grace and forgiveness. And you know what? If he would have went ahead and did that, what did that do? That doesn't help him. How many, how many of you know that? When you really did get the person back, it felt good just for a second. And then what happened? That bitterness and unforgiveness and guilt and shame. And the enemy piles on. He's the one who told you to do it. And then you do it. And then he shames you for doing it. When you get, oh, I got him back. Did it feel good? For a second. But it went away. No. God said to dad on his way home, you're better than that, Michael. He said, yep, you're right. I let it go. I'm going to choose mercy. Leave it in the hands of God. That's the way we should respond to everybody. Trust me, I've had to remind me myself of this. I can be a little fiery. I don't know if you noticed that on Sundays. But we got to choose mercy over judgment. Do you guys get anything this morning? There's one last verse, and I don't even think I gave it to the PowerPoint, but I just want to read it to you. 
Once again, I just tell you what God's preaching to me about. So, Pastor, you're saying you have an issue with words and mercy. I guess I do. I guess I do. But you know what? God only brings out stuff because he wants to help us. Let me see here. Hebrews 4 and verse 14 through 16. In the New Living. Just the last verse I thought of. Speaking about receiving his mercy so you can give mercy. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness For he faced all the same testing as we do, yet he did it without sin. Verse 16, key verse. I love this church. This is what we need to do walking out of this place today. So let us come boldly to the throne of the gracious God that we will receive his mercy and find grace to help when we need it most.